Podcast number three. Our guest today is Erin Ryder. She's a television producer and she's known for her starring roles on shows like Destination Truth and Chasing UFOs. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rogue Planet Podcast. I'm Jason McClellan and I'm here with Caleb Hanks. How's it going, everybody? Yes, we're all here together. This is awesome. And we've got a good show today, Caleb. We have an interview with the wonderful Erin Ryder. And many people know Ryder from Destination Truth on the old TV, Destination Truth, and uh, Chasing UFOs. And I actually was on screen with her for uh, for a couple seconds in that show. But uh, she's a TV producer, an adventurer, a uh, travel guru, a cigar snob. We'll get into all that later in the show. But first, Caleb, how was your week last week? My week was crazy, as always, as you can tell. As we as we have uh, a mutual enjoyment of the uh, ska, ska and punk rock music, I have my my uh, punk or my ska punk band, Crazy Tom Banana Pants, and uh, we had a really we had a really crazy show. I didn't I didn't tell you about it yet, did I? No, I haven't heard about the show. Uh, I'm just trying to I'm trying to make sure it didn't happen before the last podcast, but uh, it was the Krampus party. I don't know if you know what a Krampus is. No it's idea. A, it is. I think it's a Norse, uh, a Norse version of Santa Claus, or it's like a, it's like the opposite of Santa Claus. He's like this goblin with these big goat horns, and he comes and he steals children Whoa. instead of, uh, instead of like they give presents or whatever. Now that sounds so, awesome. Yeah, we played a, we played a benefit for uh, a Lida home, so it was like a benefit for children in need, and uh, it was a Krampus party. So everybody there was dressed like giant goat devils. And uh, and we drank a lot of uh, spiked eggnog, and the show got really crazy. And everybody was wearing really awesome Christmas sweaters. So maybe if maybe if I have some video of the show, I'll throw it up on the website. That would be great because I definitely want to see it. Yeah, things got weird. Uh, and not to mention, I don't know why it's well. It took place at a place called the Auditorium, like O D D Auditorium in Asheville, which Asheville Perfect. is a it's a weird weird place anyway. But there were like baby dolls hanging from the ceiling. That's terrifying. It was it was like <laughs> imagine your ska band playing in your worst nightmare. All right, that is just freaky, but I still <laughs> want to see it. That sounds awesome. You got it, man. Well, I was in uh in Vegas over the weekend hanging out with some buds and uh checking out a, a UFO lecture at the National Atomic Testing Museum there and uh love those guys and I I go there quite a lot for their their lectures, but uh hung we just out do the weirdest stuff. We, we do, and that's that's why we have a podcast, Caleb. That's true. You can't have a podcast unless your your life is kind of crazy and you've got weird weird things that go on. Well, you can. It's just your podcast will probably suck. Yeah. Well, in Vegas, I was hanging out with uh, with our buddy who was on a couple weeks ago, Dale Hendrickson from The Simpsons. Ah, Dale. Yeah. So we we hung out and uh, drank a bit and uh, ate a bit. Um, I think I gambled more than he did because he just gambles for the free <laughs> drinks. Did you, 
Did you uh, to, listen to the uh, to the Gambler by Kenny Rogers while you were gambling? You know they don't play that nearly enough in Vegas. <laughs> it, it's it's usually like hip hop and like super high energy stuff. Oh. That I don't know. They think it might depress people, but they totally <laughs> should have played it because while I was there, this was really bizarre. There was some sort of rodeo or something in town. Uh huh. So everybody in the casinos and walking down the strip had gigantic cowboy hats and boots and big belt buckles and stuff. So basically, you're saying that. You saw what everybody outside of America thinks America is. Yes. Yes. It's like, you know, I love that episode of The Simpsons, and I, I can't remember it now, but they they go – The Simpsons go uh, on a trip to Asia, and they're, they're in a restaurant, and it's like uh, their take on uh, an American restaurant. So they go in, and I think they're in China, and there's a, a, a Chinese guy dressed like a cowboy – and he comes to the table and he says, oh, hello, American. How are you? And he like tries to do like a stereotypical American saying that he's dumb from the American education system. And it's pretty great. So anyway, yes, that that uh, stereotype over there, uh, the, the good old 100 percent Americans, the Americans were, were walking down the strip in their big hats. And uh, I did bump into a, a few hats because they were like taking up a lot of space. There were a lot of people, you know, as there usually is walking down. Las Vegas Boulevard. So I, I did get bumped with a couple cowboy hats and uh, got blinded by some shiny belt buckles. But it was interesting to see. But And I don't know what this event was. It's some rodeo championship or something. But I read a, a headline this week saying that uh, I guess they've pulled out of Vegas. So that won't be happening again. Wow. I feel like we both went to hell in the same weekend and it was both pretty fun. It's quite possible we did. That should be our movie, man. What a like, weird uh, weekend. We could do, uh, it's like Bill and Ted's bogus journey. We could do Caleb and Jason go to hell. I, I think that's exactly how it would play out in real life. <laughs> yeah, so definitely interesting weekend there. Um, you know, speaking of music and, and your music, Caleb, I, I am reminded that uh, we mentioned The Clerk, your, your new project, but we haven't played any music for our fine listeners from The Clerk, and I think we should do that. I think that would be a great idea. I'm trying to get as much play on this stuff as I possibly can. I've actually, I've been, I've been immersing myself in the world of the clerk because I've, as I've mentioned before, I'm like working on kind of like a, a multimedia a web comic and all kinds of stuff with it. And I've been really, really, really busting ass on the comic recently. So pretty soon I'm going to have some stuff going up on the site, I, uh, which is theclerkchronicles.com. Not sure really what what medium I want to take though. I might do some stuff flash. I might do some stuff, just some static web comic, but we'll see. But, uh, yeah. Um, I think what we're going to do is play the second track off my new EP. Uh, and it's called wars among galaxies. And this song is like, it just sounds like something that should have been on the soundtrack to one of the transformers movies. That sounds magical. Let's do it.
Right. Well, I'm glad we finally played that, Caleb. I'm sorry we didn't play it uh, a couple weeks ago when we actually talked about the clerk, but uh, there we go. We got it out of the way. I hope people like that. That's good. We got to space stuff out a little bit. Well, I, I'm I'm always spaced out. So. Oh, I oh oh you you're so funny you. Not really, hey, but I appreciate that. Hey, that's where I started first, really doing crazy, uh, horrific electronic music on a public on a public uh, forum was with spacing out your show yes you have the wonderful intro on that as well as on uh, open minds ufo radio so your uh, your wonderful music is all over the place i remember seeing your your lovely co-host maureen uh at the ufo congress this past february and she was like there was this one old lady that was just like, I can't listen to this music. It's so terrible. Why did you change the intro music and all this crap? And I'm like, Maureen, seriously, like, you have to tell me about the one person that hated it? Thanks. You know, Maureen is fantastic. I love her, but uh, she loves pointing that out. She she gets great pleasure <laughs> in pointing out the uh, the horrible comments people leave. And yes, there there were a couple of comments from the from the old folks who could not stand your awful, awful music, Caleb. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, I don't, it's not, they're not exactly my target demographic. Doesn't it warm your heart though? You know what? I mean, 
I, I do good things for senior citizens. I, I help them across the street in the event that I'm ever walking. So if a couple of them hate me, whatever. That's fine. That's that's how life works. You just got to roll with it. C'est la vie. Bless those cranky old people. <laughs> well, let's talk some more music while we're on the subject of music. You know, we uh, I, I don't know if you see, and this is interesting, and I always find this really, really, really weird and interesting when I talk with people who are in different locations. And uh, you being on the East Coast and I'm out West, um, I'm not sure the bands that transcend our uh, our great nation here but uh are you familiar with the rx bandits oh yeah they used to be on drive through records yes that is right see i don't know bands that have you know regional followings they were definitely a national band but uh and toured internationally and stuff but i'm never sure which bands uh you know were bigger over here as opposed to over there but those guys broke up a few years ago mm-hmm. and uh They've done reunion shows and things like that, but they just recently announced that they are going to permanently, for real, get back together. And uh, they're already halfway through recording a new full-length album. Gosh, man, Like I think we were talking about this a little bit last week. Like You're starting to see this so much because I feel like some of these artists like got out there, did it, made a name for themselves. And then they realized that probably the most viable source of income now that the economy is getting like worse is to go back out and like kind of relive the, what they had with their fan base. Well, yeah. So many of these bands really established diehard fan bases and, you know, even bands like, do you remember five iron frenzy? Oh yeah. Yeah. So bands like that, you know, had a, had a huge core following and years later, after after calling it quits, um, get together and those guys in particular put together a Kickstarter campaign to fund a, a comeback album, I guess. And I mean, they got tons of money. It was like a hundred grand or something from fans, oh, yeah. just like saying, "Hell yeah, we want you back here. Take our money." And yep. you know, a lot of these bands don't realize that they do have fans willing to contribute to them putting out more music. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot more of that. And a lot of these bands are coming back. And, I mean, bands like Less Than Jake. We, we had JR from Less Than Jake on the show last week. Uh, you know, hardcore, super devoted fans all around the world. Um, and Less Than Jake continues to tour all around the world. And they get crazy packed houses. And, uh, you know, these devoted fans who will come out to every show, buy absolutely every piece of merchandise they put out. I mean, the, the the market is there for these guys. They just have to keep up the, the energy and the momentum. And that's that's really the difficult part to do, especially with ska bands and, you know, bands that have larger numbers of members. You know, you get seven, eight guys in a band. That gets to be difficult, especially when those people have families. Totally. I mean, uh, I don't know if you ever really listened to Reliant K, but uh, yeah. they they are, you know, they hit the mainstream pretty, pretty well there for a while. And then uh, I followed along with them quite a while and they were they were kind of tapering off they had announced on their website that they were going to put out like just one last album and then they were kind of not going to have a teary-eyed breakup they were all just kind of go their separate ways but i i feel like and i don't know if this is what happened but it just seemed to me as though they kind of got to that point and they're like well look we've done this for so many years i mean they've done it since they were teenagers and it's just kind of like what are we going to go do what are we going to are we going to go be accountants like we have done this for so long what is the point the fans are still there the crowds are still there unless you just absolutely hate the road 
you know, for some of these guys, this is the most viable income they can, they can, you know, come uh, or or they can make, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I play music for a living on the road. I play with a bluegrass band called nitro grass with my brother. People might know him, Micah Hanks. He does a little show called the Graylian report. Uh, you might hear me on there every once in a while, but he and I are out on the road playing music all the time. And sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it is not very fun. So I totally understand why some bands wouldn't want to continue on, but if they got the drive and they can live on the road and they've adapted to that lifestyle, then more power to them. Right. And I think a lot of bands, you know, they, they go through those troubles and that's why you have to do things in spurts. You'll see them out on the road going crazy for a while. Then they'll fight and hate each other and they'll call it quits or, you know, go on hiatus. And then after oh, yeah. a while, they're all, yeah, we should get back on the road again. And then they go on the road. They hate each other, want to kill each other, call it quits for a while. When I was talking to uh, the guys from Mustard Plug, Crazy Tom played at Jack of the Wood in Nashville with them um, back a couple months ago. And when I was talking to them, they told me they only played like something like 30, 30 to 40 shows a year, I think. Yeah, I Mustard mean, Plug doesn't play very much anymore. But it's it's awesome. They're still around and kicking. I mean, it was a great show. Uh, I, I just don't that venue was a little weird because that uh, the Jack of the Wood is has for years and years and years been this like predominant folk venue. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was really, really funny and awesome to see a band like Mustard Plug just in there like, yeah, screw it. <laughs> Where are the Sky Kids in this, you know, super just like folk town? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I love when they're sort of a. Uh... I don't know, a miscommunication, not really, but, you know, just a, an awkward blend of, of a, a venue where it's it's characteristics and its usual usual clientele, its usual crowd. You bring some other band in there that totally screws everybody up. Like, What's going on? This is crazy. I love to see it when it's in Asheville predominantly because, I mean, Asheville is such a super weird place. The music scene here is very weird. It's really super clicky, but... To see a band like Mustard Plug that's just like, drink beer, listen to fast ska music, here we go. Like It was just perfect for me. I loved it. That's awesome. And I'm sure the uh, the regulars there were confused. Yes, they were. And I was very happy to see their furrows of worry. You got to shake things up every once in a while. Damn right. Well, something else uh, music-related that we have on RoguePlanet.tv right now, Caleb, is this interesting bit of uh, awesomeness that I stumbled on here. Uh, uh, it's called yeah. Punk Goes 8-Bit. And uh, a buddy of mine posted this on Facebook. Um, but really, it's just this guy who, who runs a small punk ska label in Tampa, Florida called Pinhead Records. And he started releasing these these uh, digital albums titled Punk Goes 8-Bit. And it was just back in September of 2013 when he started doing this he already has four of these albums out and uh, a fifth is scheduled to release i think before the uh, the year's end but what basically what these are is just it's like 8-bit uh video game music of like punk and ska music i didn't know i didn't see that there were three other albums this is awesome I'm yeah just like yeah going four, through here four albums like, gonna be another one and he's probably gonna keep going but yeah it's just punk and ska songs done in a, an 8-bit video game fashion so it's really geeky and in my humble opinion extremely awesome oh man i'm just looking ah oh, he's got bullion by melancholin on there that's so awesome yeah, I do admire his uh, his song choices, and I, I haven't made it through all those albums yet, but 
when I first found it, I just started clicking on track after track after track. And I was like, oh, no, this is so cool. I'm just glad that somebody see because 8-bit music is is an art in itself. Like I I grew I think the reason that a, a majority of the music like for the clerk that I do is just so erratic and so electronic is because I literally grew up listening to the music on my Nintendo games. Right. And from it's just like it's just such a great blend of things that I absolutely love. That's why I was like messaging you when you first posted. I was like, this is the perfect the perfect post. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I grew up on that stuff with the video games. I love that music. And, you know, the music is, is such a huge part uh, of games to me. And, and I love the old games. And I always tell people this. It's so funny. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I, I, I I'm, First of all, I'm no gamer. But uh, I do love video games. I love old video games because those are the... I'm I'm not good enough to play the new games where they're all 360 degrees. There's too much shit going on. Okay. Yeah, I, I beg but, to differ with you. I think the older games were harder. Well, you know, I, I I like just when the screen moves and you can only go to the right. <laughs> <laughs> That's. I mean, there's something to be said for simplicity. But I like that, and then I like the uh, the really gritty, like awesome eight bit music chugging along with it, and really oh, yeah. driving the mood of the game but now you've got you know full-on surround sound like hardcore punk like playing while you're playing madden football i mean i i don't know it's don't get me wrong that's fun i like it but there's something to be said about the the silly 8-bit music that sounds like your speakers on your tv are just completely shot and uh chugging along only moving to the right yeah i mean i actually there are certain songs in games that I still remember, like the moon level on the DuckTales video yes. game for the for yes. n- regular Nintendo. Like, I love that song, dude. I think it's the same song that was on Game Boy, and that song was amazing. Yes. Yeah, I listened to it nonstop. But, you know, talking about the new, the new wave of games and the old wave of games, uh, I have to bring up um, the new Star Wars video game. Yes. It's called, uh, and it. I think it's. I think it's just an online game. It's uh, a Star Wars Attack Squadrons, and it's kind of in the style of the Rogue Squadron game, where you're just flying around in X wings and blowing stuff up. Right now, they've got a thing on the website to where you can sign up and be a beta tester, and you can just kind of. I don't know if they just pick you at random and then you go blow stuff up, but uh, you know, Star Wars video games. I mean, some of the best video games, in my opinion, ever were Star Wars games. The uh, the Battlefront series for PlayStation 2, probably the most replayable video game I have ever played in my life. But I'll tell you what, man, I cannot tell you how many hours of my life I wasted in the back on the back of a Tauntaun in the middle of the snow on Hoth with a lightsaber in one of the Super Nintendo Star Wars games that they these things were just impossible. I mean, there was no way in hell you were ever, ever, ever going to get to the second level because everything in but like most games, everything was built to kill you. But I just felt like everything in those video games was extremely apt at killing you. It it purposefully just needed you to die as quickly as possible. And I just I watched Tauntauns fall into crevices and die so many times. I think it like scarred me. Well, that doesn't sound like a waste of time at all to me, Caleb. That sounds like a great use of time. And look, anytime you blend Star Wars and video games, it's really hard to go wrong. And uh, we've got this this trailer that was released on the website. 
as well as the information to sign up to be a beta tester. And I'm tempted to do it. I've never, you know, I see these things all the time. I've never actually signed up to be a beta tester. I have friends who who beta test all the Star Wars games, and uh, I think I might have to do this. This one looks really good. I haven't. Ha- have you spent much time or any time playing any of these? online games, Caleb. This is like the, the new thing that, you know, the, the, the Star Trek has their Star Trek online and Star Wars has some. I haven't really you played know, any of these online games. Honestly, like, I completely understand the appeal of it, um, but I personally have never tried because I I would fear that I would, like, start funneling money into something like World of Warcraft and just right. waste my life away. And, like, I have... I'm already kind of like a, a slave driver on myself to try to be like work, 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 work as much as possible. And I still feel like I slack. So I think if I were to take any more leisure time playing video games than I already do, like in which I don't really do very much at all, I think I would just feel like a big slob and never do anything. Not saying that people are that play video games. I'm just saying I personally would definitely feel like I was just Jabba the Hutt laying there playing. Yeah, I agree with you. I would definitely feel like Jabba the Hutt and uh, that – that just would be unproductive. And man, those games, they just, they're huge time sucks. They can be so much fun, but when you realize how much time you've wasted, you feel so bad. And with these online games, my, my problem with them is as opposed to games on platforms, uh, the online games seem very, you know, completely focused on, uh, you know, the online marketplace and, and purchasing in game at the in game purchases, Mm-hmm. So you can buy, you know, better ships and better armor and better weapons and all that. You know, when I, I, I just want to buy a game and, and be done with it. You know, I spent my money. Now give me the game. Don't give me a game and expect me to buy what really makes the game. Yeah, well, I mean, that honestly makes me think of another Star Wars title, uh, Star Wars The Force Unleashed 2 for Xbox and whatever other platform I had it for Xbox 360. That game... It's you know it's a little repetitive because you're just kind of chopping guys up and using the force and just being this incredibly like total like force wielding badass just destroying everything. But the cool thing about that game is like visually it's it's super stunning like everything looks really really good. Uh, it, you and that's something I really like about it too is like you are so incredibly powerful like you can literally do anything. You can pick Tie Fighters out of the air with the force and throw them into buildings and destroy them. But the game isn't very long at all. Like that to me. When I beat the game, I was kind of like, really? Like, I want there to be more, but for my own, like, productivity and health and safety, like, it was good that it was as short as it was. So I think it was kind of like the perfect game for me. Yeah, and games like that are funny, too. When you get so sucked into them, you spend so much time. Then when you beat them, and especially after a short period of time, I don't know. It's just like your eyes open and you're all, wow. Now I have time to do things. Wow, I really did spend a lot of time on that game. It reminds me of at the end of The Cable Guy, it just shows Kyle Gass from Tenacious D and his small bit part of the film, and like the, the TV just shuts off, and he just looks down and picks up a book and opens it slowly and goes, ah. <laughs> that guy's hilarious, by the way. I love him. I mean, he doesn't oh, yeah. really have to do anything in the movies he's in. Just like being on camera, he's amazing. Dude, I, I was so bummed that the pick of destiny didn't that, that the pick of destiny flopped as bad as it did. That was one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long, long time, and it just tanked at the box office. Well, and those guys have, you know, speak of pe- people who have a huge uh, a core core group of followers. 
Tenacious D does. And uh, yeah, so I was surprised to see that movie did as bad as it did. I thought it was enjoyable. I just, man, like, how could you not enjoy a film that has like an entire musical sequence where he eats mushrooms in the woods, trips and turns into a Sasquatch? Yeah, now that's that's a recipe for magic. Exactly. I loved it. And the music was amazing in that movie, too. Well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I absolutely love Jack Black. So he is magical. And every movie he's in, he makes he makes it about music. I mean, he's always doing his and like just singing yeah. with his mouth. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a super talented guy. Like Tenacious D is an incredible band. Like if you see them perform live, I, I, that's another thing that's really impressive to me about Tenacious D. And I'm, I, we're just so on topic right here. But like, that's the other thing that's so cool about Tenacious D is those guys can get up on a crowd in front of a crowd of like a hundred thousand people. I don't really know how big, but they they'll they'll get up in front of the, in front of these huge crowds with just acoustic guitars, and just rock it. You know, they don't have to have an entire band. They'll just get up there with two acoustic guitars and just destroy it, man. Now that that. That is a, a talent in captivity, man. It's a huge talent, and it's one of my one of my favorite uh, tidbits I learned about uh, School of Rock was that Jack Black didn't know he didn't really know how to play electric guitar. Yeah, right. I mean, not that you have to be taught how to play electric guitar, but he's an acoustic guy, and so yeah. the kid who plays Zach in that movie had to teach Jack how to play the electric guitar. Right. Well, I hope it wasn't too terribly difficult for him because I feel like playing acoustic is a lot harder than playing electric. Yep, I agree with that. So, yeah, I would imagine Jack being a pretty quick learner, though. He's a super smart guy. As long as you can keep him focused. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like he might have trouble focusing, but I've always said, and I don't know, I think I had this like kind of emotional response after seeing the awesome movie that is School of Rock. I said, man... I wish that guy were my uncle. He'd be like your crazy, insane uncle, but Jack Black would be a fun uncle. To be perfectly honest with you, I know a couple of people around here that have uncles like that, but they're not like into rock. They're into like 80s metal and nothing but 80s metal. Well, that that could be fun, but it uh, could also be scary at times too. I'm going to go with scary because I witnessed it and it, and it was scary. Yeah. Well, and people like that are unpredictable too. So, I mean, it, it's cool in theory. It's a good idea, but uh, it could could backfire and uh, be embarrassing in, in many situations. Very true. Well, let's jump into our interview, Caleb, because I'm excited for this interview with my good friend, Erin Ryder. She uh, has fascinating stories. She's done a lot of exciting things. So let's jump into it now. Here's Erin Ryder. Ryder, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am thrilled to be talking to you. It's been ages since we've been able to catch up. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Agreed. It's been way too long. Now, you and I share a lot of similar interests, and I love uh, kind of technology. I'm a big technology geek, and technology, uh, you know, I live on the internet and Twitter especially, and it enables us to. Twitter and Facebook, we get to live vicariously through everyone else. And uh, I love doing that with you because we share a lot of common interests and travel in particular. I love watching uh, all of the photos you post and, and talking about all the places you go. I'm, I'm jealous of the travel you get to do. Yeah, it's uh, I've, I've been blessed with a profession. 
And that's taken me all around the world to the remote corners, places I never thought I would get to visit. And, um, you know, now that I'm, I'm kind of back, we're on a little bit of a hiatus with Destination Truth. It makes me kind of reflect upon, you know, some of the locales that are even closer that, that I probably should be visiting more so than the ends of the earth. And that's a funny thing with travel. I think about that too. Now, I haven't done too much international travel, but you know, we think of travel, we plan these really elaborate trips and then we realize, you know, especially me, I, I think, you know, there are a lot of places really close to home that I've either never been or haven't been for a very long time. So, you know, maybe I should explore some of those places. Those are a little easier on the wallet too. Agreed. You know, I've, I've, I've just hit 50 countries and yet I haven't been to all 50 states. So I'm Isn't now that kind funny? of wow. Yeah. I'm now kind of working my way through my home turf a bit. I'm, I'm finally doing Hawaii, which sounds ridiculous, but finally doing Hawaii in a couple months, which is really exciting for me. That's awesome. Yeah. That's one that uh, I still haven't done and people keep trying to get me to go to go on Hawaii trips and I'm all, yeah, that'd be great. But uh, for some reason or another, I, I never get around to it. I always go, go somewhere else. It's, it's eluded me this long as well. Yeah, that's surprising. Well, do you, in all of your travel, do you, have you narrowed down to a specific one favorite destination that you've been to? I, I have, and it's not fair because it's not one that many people can really put on their um, travel itineraries, right. their, their, their wants, but Antarctica was unbelievable. It's um, the closest I, I'll ever be to setting foot on another planet. It's absolutely breathtaking. Um, somewhere I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd get to go. And we took a boat there and we were there for over a week and it was absolutely wonderful. And, um, you know, I do know that, that there are some pretty reputable cruise lines that do go. So I do know it's a possibility if you have a chance and opportunity to go, I would say, Second favorite, a little bit more um, relatable to people that might be wanting to travel, I would say Iceland, spectacular, and Vietnam is absolutely my favorite. This Southeast Asia is just so unbelievable and um, welcoming. It's really hard not to have a, a nice time when you're there. Antarctica sounds absolutely unbelievable, but it also sounds cold. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Really? We were spoiled. We went around a time. There are a few photos that I still can't believe I have of us sitting, you know, on the hull of the boat wearing T-shirts. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, that doesn't sound too bad then. But I, I mean, I read so much about Antarctica, especially with a lot of uh, space news and astrobiology, because they do so many uh, experiments down there, drilling into the ice and pulling up, you know, these extremophiles. And uh, you're right, it, it is like another planet down there. And uh, that's a good place where they're doing research in, to help them find extraterrestrial life. I know, it's, it's amazing. Working with you know, um, radiation interdisciplinary scientist, Ben McGee, he would tell me all the time, you know, that, that just in our backyards, you know, are places where we're able to be testing, you know, these new technologies and, uh, different microscopes and in labs, you know, be pulling these organisms that are closer to other planets than we would even like. He was talking about, you know, New Mexico and Arizona, you know, being perfect climates for, you know, testing things that are about to go to Mars. So it's it always amazes me what goes on in our backyard. Speaking of our buddy Ben McGee, I was just uh, hanging out with him this past weekend in Vegas with uh, him and uh, Ben Hansen. 
we were all at the National Atomic Testing Museum in Vegas for uh, our buddy Lee Spiegel from the Huffington Post. He was giving a lecture there uh, about UFOs. So we were all gathered there, kind of uh, geeking out together. It was good to see the Bens and both of those guys have uh, lectured at the National Atomic Testing Museum too. And uh, it's a, have you been to that museum? I have not. It's it's on my list. In fact, I'm I'm currently working on a project with um, Destination America, and it's top on my list. Um, which is which is really selfish of me because I just want to go for my own personal reasons. Um, but yeah, I was really jealous that you guys have got to all go and and um, you know share that together. Um, it's in Ben's back. Yard. So, right. uh, you know, I know it's easy for him to, to, to kind of hop, skip and jump there, but I have not been yet. And really, I mean, the main reason I go there so much is because, number one, I love Vegas and it gives me an excuse to go to Vegas. But <laughs> it's it's very close to the Strip. I mean, it's a really convenient place to get to if you are in Vegas. So I really love that museum. I've been there so many times. The people behind the museum are such wonderful people. And, you know, they, they started their, uh, their Area 51 exhibit there, and that's why they have so many UFO presentations there. And uh, I, uh, along with some of my colleagues at Open Minds, are going to be uh, doing a lecture there coming up in January. So you still have an option to come if you want, Aaron. Yes, please send me the details. Any reason to go is is one that I should be taking advantage of. Yes, definitely. Well, I'm, I'm heading back to Vegas next week too for fun. So you know, it's hard 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 to keep me out of Vegas because you know being so close to it is just an easy getaway. So, well, back to uh, to travel. I, this is a question I've I've had in my mind thinking about you and and travel and knowing your interests. Would you? writer be interested in if it were offered to you a trip to space a absolutely i i would of course you know i say absolutely that would be my my gut telling me i would of course have to speak to my family yeah uh, my family is very important to me and i know that you know going is is a massive commitment in terms of time and also you know it's it's not um a hundred percent that you'll come back at all, if right. not in one piece. So um, selfishly, I would say, yes, I would jump at the opportunity. I think it's um, really just so I, I, being able to speak to, you know, Edgar Mitchell or some of the other astronauts that have set foot, you know, on the moon and, and, and being there listening to their stories and being in awe of what they were, uh, the opportunity they were given. I, I would, of course, you know, feel as though if I were offered it, it would be silly to pass it up. It just seems like some, some dream that I've had since, you know, a little kid to just, you know, go above and beyond. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a massive commitment. And if I was to, to consider it as a real opportunity, I don't know if my family would want me to go. I actually tried, I entered a contest to actually go, um, into space. And I came very, very close. I was actually in the top 10 for a really long time. So it was a tangible, odd opportunity that I, I felt like I, I actually could win. That's right. I forgot that you entered that. That's hilarious. Yeah, I didn't win it. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of made the, the dream seem a little bit more like a reality to me. But but yeah, I think if if someone was to say that they wouldn't at least consider it, they'd be foolish. Right. Or incredibly boring. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think it says a lot about their, their personality and their character. But yeah, I mean, there's so much going on right now. And it's, it's really exciting to say, and I say this all the time, and I, I am 100% confident in it, that, uh, I mean, space travel is going to become increasingly common. And within our lifetimes, I, I definitely think that both you and I will be venturing into space at some time. I, you know, you, you never thought it possible. Right. And now to see how close we really are to that is just so mind blowing. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, I know just talking to, to, to Ben about it. I mean, he's really at the forefront of some, you know, amazing, such interesting opportunities, readying people for space. Right. It's like, He's just, he's thought it through so much that he knows that we're so on the verge of this, that he's got a school prepping people for space. It's amazing. Yeah, Ben McGee, he's got uh, a company called uh, Astrorite, where, uh, yeah, they they train people for space flight. And I really hope, and I I know that uh, in the coming coming years, he will uh, be stacking up the client list. But yeah, with so many companies like SpaceX and Virgin Galactic and all these companies, I mean, space tourism is right around the corner. I mean, Virgin Galactic, although they've had delays and keep pushing it back, in 2014, we should see their their first flights. And uh, I mean, SpaceX, Elon Musk is just an incredible, crazy genius. I love that man. But because of him and others like him, so much is being accomplished and fueling this this new space race we're in. So we really do live in a futuristic sci-fi world. And th- these these private space flights are, are starting to take place. And even if the price were down where I could afford it right now, I mean, I, I can't afford 250 grand that uh, Richard Branson's charging for Virgin Galactic. But uh, even if the price were like an airline ticket, I still wouldn't jump on board right now. I'm going to give it uh, a decade or so to uh, work out the problems, and, and then I'll, I'll decide from there. Yeah, we'll let uh, we'll let Lady Gaga be be one of first yes. to get up there and sing in space. Yes, yeah, the the celebrity list of people going up with Virgin Galactic are pretty funny, and sadly, I think a lot of people are hoping that uh, the flight crashes. That's a terrible thing to say, but. Uh, for some reason, people really hate a lot of celebrities. <laughs> it is, it is, it is very funny the uh, negativity associated with. I think there's a there's a tinge of jealousy there. I think that plays into it uh, just a little bit. Well, uh, you've traveled like we, we talked about. You traveled so much and uh, been to a lot of places, and a lot of those places you've been exploring mysterious things. Uh, going into the paranormal um, with Destination Truth. I want to ask you, what if you can pinpoint one thing, what is the the most terrifying thing you've encountered in, in your travels with Destination Truth? Um, you know, I, I've... Traveling with the show for as long as I did um, really came... You really push that fear threshold to the limit. Um, there, there are some times that, that, you know, I think back on, I still have nightmares over some of the locations that we were. It's, um, you know, there's so many dangers when you're out there, whether it be, you know, just the 
natural, the, you know, the environments we put ourselves in, the um, natural predators in those environments. And then you add in, you know, that these local townsfolk have been, you know, losing children or goats, you know, due to some bloodthirsty, you know, uh, creature that is, you know, yet unnamed. And it's, it's, it's pretty scary, but I think the one that stuck with me the longest is, um, when we were at the suicide woods in Japan at the, uh, the very base of, of Mount Fuji, there's, um, this, uh, very dense forested area. Um, and that was one of my first seasons with the show. It was a, a paranormal haunting that we were doing. They receive, you know, uh, millions of visitors, but the reason a lot of people go there, unfortunately, is to commit suicide. And there's, there's something of, of, you know, hundreds of people, hundreds of people commit suicide a month and they have these signs that say, turn back, don't go. Um, and so there's this energy there and it's really palpable. I mean, I was there, I felt it. It was just awful darkness. That's so all encompassing. And, um, it really was one of those things that stuck with me. Um, we captured something on film that was really, really bizarre, uh, looked like this, this shadow almost melting into the earth. And, you know, the compasses wouldn't work. I got spun upside down and lost. And, um, we, we kind of fell into, you know, some, some locations where some people had actually just recently committed suicide. And it was just so haunting. I mean, I, I use that word as a real, real word because yeah. it, it stuck with me. I mean, I had nightmares and, and really dark feelings from that place for a really long time. That was one of those things where, you know, that was a real life scary movie for me. It was, it would, it would be really difficult for Josh to get on the phone and say, we're going back there. And for me to say, yes, that's understandable that that would stick with you. I mean, I imagine it would and and things like that, when you experience them in person, you've got to be just life changing. I mean, they, they change your, your view on, on, I guess your, your worldview, how you view reality. Absolutely. I think, you know, when I first uh, started, I obviously didn't have uh, a big um, education in the paranormal. Um, I, of course, you know, became a quick study. I didn't realize, you know, the the real heavy dark side of things and the weight of which, you know, a lot of that can can actually affect a person. And so that was a, that was a real big surprise for me. You know, I think when I go, went out there, I really thought I'd be more scared of the snakes than, you know, these these uh, objects that we couldn't see. Yeah. And so that was a real wake up call for me. And, you know, something that's that's kind of, you know, been one that, um, has driven a lot of my interest still to this day in the paranormal and, and, and the beyond. Now, in, in your your uh, investigations and your, your looking into these paranormal things, were you ever uh, physically, did you have physical contact with anything? Um, not really. You know, I think I've, I've felt, you know, you know, cold. I've felt wind. Yeah. Um, uh, when I was at Coleman Scop, um, which is in, um, uh, in Africa when we were in, um, outside of Windhoek in Namibia, um, there's this old deserted, uh, mining town there and it's completely filled with sand up, you know, and, and people say that it's, you know, it's haunted. And, and we were in one of the buildings there and, um, I have, I have, I have asthma. I don't have severe asthma. I don't use my inhaler daily, but I, I use it, you know, often, especially on the road in these different climates, especially dry heat. Um, and I hadn't used it that day and I had a very severe attack. One of the severest I've had felt like something was closing up a lot around my lungs, wow. but 
you know, I, I wasn't so quick to say it was something paranormal. Yeah. It, it could have just been, you know, just an a, a odd timing of, you know, something really, we're co- the buildings are covered in sand. I mean, it wouldn't be, you know, out of the realm to say that, you know, the sand was just affecting me. Sure. But of course, it's right around the time when all these, you know, these crazy things are happening. So, of course, situationally, it felt, you know, like something more. But that was probably as close as I've gotten to that. Wow. Well, let's... Uh shift away from from scary things and i don't know i guess i guess this could be scary too but uh in, in some of your your travel you, you get to do some some fun stuff too along with it and that is uh, traveling around to different conventions like uh, comic-con and things like that um you know and i unfortunately haven't had the opportunity to to be to to visit many of these these conventions like this um do you have a, a favorite one? I've heard different stories from different people who attend, you know, like Stanley's Kamikaze and things like that. Is there one that stands out as, as uh, being superior uh, as far as you're concerned from, from uh, a standpoint of you being there and that the fan interaction and things like that? Sure, sure. I, I will say this, you know, Josh and I have been completely on heard, um, you know, by the overwhelming support we get from our fans, bringing us, literally bringing us to these places and asking for us and and going there and really showing such great support. Uh, That's a reason we're able to go to them. Um, And I'm always in awe of seeing how many people actually turn up and have these great stories and, you know, artifacts and, you know, have had these, you know, paranormal things happen to them. And, you know, it's always so fun. But my favorite, now that I've really run the gamut, I've kind of done, um, you know, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, Kamikaze, uh, Dragon Con. I've done some lesser known ones, um, you know, in the middle states. But Dragon Con is absolutely unbeatable in terms of what people show up wearing. Wow. It is everyone in costume. And I'm talking three days of completely different, fully elaborate cosplay that's just awe-inspiring. It's so amazing how hard people work to just stand out. And it's so interesting. And um, they throw these really, really fun parties that everyone's invited to. It's not VIP this or VIP that. Everyone gets access to these really wonderful places. You get to meet and see, you know, people from your favorite shows. I mean, Josh and I are there just ogling over the Battlestar Galactica people, just like the biggest nerds ever. And, you know, you're sharing drinks with, you know, the likes of, of, you know, people from all over, you know, yeah. one of my, my favorites was, um, we shared a table there with, um, George, um, Howe, who is, uh, the voice of uh, space ghost. And he's actually become a very good friend of mine. That's amazing. And I would not have happened if I hadn't been at dragon con or, yeah. you know, some of these other really great people that I've, that I've met along the way. And so, um, if you can go to Georgia, I really recommend Dragon Con. It's unlike any of them out there. It's not pretentious. It's not, it's, it's, it's by nerds for nerds still to this day, unlike some of the others that seem to be a little bit industry heavy and, you know, you, it's not as pure anymore. Yeah. And that's, that's consistent with what I've heard from a lot of people about Dragon Con. And, you know, I love love San Diego Comic-Con. I love San Diego. It's like a, a second home to me. I love that city. But uh, that, that thing is just a monster that's kind of out of control, it seems. And it's, I mean, I, I love what it is, but it, it really is just a giant industry convention now where every movie, every television show, 
It's all about premiering shows and talking about upcoming shows. It's it's not about comics. The the cosplay is is not there as much as it used to be. So, so Dragon Con, I'll definitely have to get out to that. That would be awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty spectacular. You do know you're going to have to deal with a little bit of heat, um, but it's part of the fun of it. It's kind of a big, warm, fun event, and yeah, one that you know if if you have the opportunity to go, it's usually Labor Day weekend. So you know you kind of take advantage of that big three days you got. But yeah, big big fun happening in in Georgia for sure. Didn't you hand out ice cream when you were at San Diego Comic Con? I did. That was um, right before the launch of Chasing UFOs. Um, ben, uh, James, and myself went down there, and we um, had gotten ourselves a big uh, ice cream cart, and we were handing out um, ice creams um, in these saucers, in these quote-unquote flying saucers, and um, you know, uh, throwing out frisbees to the crowd while they were doing the big zombie walk. So it was really fun, super interactive, and you know, kind of the perfect treat when you're down there on those hot days. So that was that was a really special memory for us, especially for zombies. Zombies love ice cream. Ah, oh, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. You <laughs> think it. it wasn't brain? It wasn't brain flavored either. So here's something that uh, I had a hunch, but I I, I didn't uh, didn't know this. But you apparently are a uh, a cigar connoisseur. I, I I enjoy the word connoisseur. I don't know if I'm there yet. Yeah. Um. I I take that as a massive compliment. Um. How I, about how about cigar enthusiast? Yes, I appreciate that. All that right. that I will take. I fear the education is is lacking in my connoisseurship, but I'm. Oh, I'm, there's so right. much to learn. Yes, but uh, you you're you're, you're in a in cigar snob magazine. Is that right? Yes, I um I am in cigar snob magazine, which is a fantastic magazine. I, um, you know, grew up with a father that smoked and, um, I came across the magazine in, you know, a, a local shop of mine that I frequent and I just fell in love with it. I love the writing. I, I just think it, it's so young and fresh and they just do such a good job with, you know, bringing, you know, new life back into cigars. I feel like cigar is kind of an older habit, um, you know, people pick up later in life, but it's, it's enjoyable. I, I don't obviously promote smoking per se. Um, you know, I, I, it's a hobby for me. I don't, you know, smoke, you know, I'm not worried about lung cancer or any of that kind of thing. It's not something I do every day, but I grew up with my dad smoking stogies and, you know, I think my palate's grown a bit since then. And mm. I just, I love the smell of a really good cigar. It's just something to really cherish and enjoy, especially around this time of year. Right. There's something about the snow and drinking wine that just makes me really want, you know, a really nice, smooth cigar. It's incredible what a complex world the world of cigars is. You know, when I started getting into it a little bit, I, I was overwhelmed and said, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to figure this out and not going to be able to, uh, you know, determ determine what kind of cigar I prefer. You know, they were all the same to me because I was just overwhelmed. But uh, once you get into it, it's really fascinating and a lot of fun. It's, you know what, if you like, 
you know, it, it's like getting in the world of craft beer at first, right. you know, it's really intimidating. There are just so many, uh, it's same with wine, you know, when, when you, you're just, all these words are thrown out at you, you know, and, and, you know, these flavors and, you know, you're not an expert right away. It's the same with cigars. There are just so many different brands and so many different ways they're made, whether it's handmade or mechanical and, you know, loose or, you know, what it's, it's, it's fun. It's really fun to just try them out. I think, um, I do know that I don't like flavored cigars. I think that poor women get, you know, a bad rep um, in being being treated like we don't really understand cigars, but we can handle what the boys do. Here are the toy cigars for the ladies. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. You know, I've, I've never really been fragile, so I probably started a little harsher than I probably should have. My buzz <laughs> would be hard after a couple of the big ones that I smoked. Don't start with a Churchill. It's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I do. I love, you know, medium mild cigars. I love, um, Romeo y Julieta and Arturo Fuente. And, you know, I mean, I, because of travel, I was really introduced a lot to Cubans that mm -hmm. I think I probably wouldn't have if I was in the States because a lot of them aren't legal. Yeah. Um, so I was able to try a lot more when we were kind of around and in the South and, and, and traveling. So a lot of things go when you're overseas. That's fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, craft beer is a thing like that for me with travel. It's one of my favorite things to do when I travel is, is try out the local beers and go to go tour the local brewery. And I mean, cause craft beer has just exploded in the past few years. So that that's fun with travel, but uh, with cigars, I'm like, like you, I, I don't, don't smoke all the time, but I certainly smoke, uh, enjoy a cigar during the holidays or, or at special events. And interestingly enough, a place where I, I think I smoke the most cigars is at uh, UFO conferences. So <laughs> there seems to be a group at uh, UFO conferences who always likes to gather together and, and smoke cigars and talk about UFOs. So I love that. Just, just you and Lee Spiegel and Travis Walton and, and, and James Fox just lighten up. I can see that. Yeah, we definitely did that last year, and uh, Ben McGee was there too. So yeah, we're, we're oh yeah, out there. Ben's a big Ben's a big cigar smoker for sure. Yeah, so yeah, when we we're in Vegas too, and he comes and hangs out, uh, we always tell him to to leave the wife at home and and come and smoke cigars with us. So he I usually obliges. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I um. I have not been, that's another one that I haven't been to. James and I were supposed to, we were trying to get Chasing UFOs to make it there to the convention and uh -huh. unfortunately the timing didn't work out. So next year I say I have a lot on my plate for 2014, but um, if I have my way, I will be at, uh, at a lot more of those. Well, let me, uh, let me lay this on you, Ryder. So this year, or I guess in 2014, in February, the, uh, the International UFO Congress is a uh, a week or two earlier than it than it has been in the past, so it uh, it goes into uh, or it takes place during uh, Valentine's Day. So oh, how romantic! What 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 better romantic place to be on Valentine's Day than a UFO conference? I mean, there's nothing like it. The 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 single men, the single aliens. I mean, it's just it's a it's a it's a whole world in and of itself, just romance. It just screams romance. That's right. And you said it right. That's all there are, single men and single aliens. There are no <laughs> single women there. <laughs> but we, we do have an interesting conference this year uh, because we've been able to add some good science 
to to the lineup. You know, we, we have a broad mix of people and that's what the audience wants. You know, you can't make everybody happy, but you try to have a good good mix of everything. And I think that's what makes a good conference. But we have the person I'm most excited about um, is a former NASA astrobiologist. And he's going to be there to basically explain to people that we've already found extraterrestrial life. I love that. Based I on NASA that. that's, information, that's looking at looking at information from like the Viking lander and all this stuff that, you know, previously these NASA affiliated scientists have said, look, this data shows extraterrestrial life. And then for whatever reason, other scientists and NASA will distance themselves from it and say, oh, well, that was a separate study and we don't agree with that. But he's going to look at all of this data and outline it and show all the various cases, the various um, research that's been done to show that we've already found extraterrestrial life. That's so great. I love that. I absolutely love that. I think, you know, not that it's been missing from what you guys do because you guys really run the gamut with that conference, but I think it'll really supplement you know, and kind of add another dimension to a lot of the hard work you guys put into that. And that's fascinating. I love that. Well, that's why I loved having uh, Ben McGee at the conference last year, because he was talking about his xenoarchaeology, talking about, you know, f first, first, our first discovery of extraterrestrial life will be in the, the remains of an, a previous culture or something on another planet, finding, finding uh, like artifacts instead of actual extraterrestrials. But that was a fascinating approach. And again, it was science and looking at science. And look, I, there are lots of interesting people out there with lots of interesting stories. But when it comes down to it and, you know, looking at information that's believable and palatable for the general public, you got to look to mainstream science. I, I agree. And I, I don't think enough has been done, but that's just because, you know, people are scared of the truth. It's just... <laughs> The, the, the plain and simple of it. Right. And like you with the, you know, hanging out with ghosts and stuff. I mean, until you experience it for yourself, you know, until you, uh, your, your view of, the, of reality is altered a little bit, you know, you, you don't really consider it or don't want to consider it. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you're an extremely busy person and I don't know if uh, you have anything that you can discuss, but do you have any interesting upcoming television work. I know we've all missed you on Destination Truth and Chasing UFOs, but uh, what's what's coming up for you? Anything exciting? Um, I have uh, a couple projects that have been um, in the works for a while now. Um, in, the, in the interim, I'm actually producing a few shows behind the scenes. Uh, I just did one for TLC, um, Outside the Realm, um, but it was uh, Outrageous 911 Calls, which was just really fun to do. I'm producing a show right now for Destination America. It's yet untitled, um, but it'll be back in my wheelhouse of, you know, looking at different um, artifacts and uh, evidence that's been um, in the, you know, in the in the supernatural realm again. Uh, again, I'm, I'm producing that, not on camera for it, but um, we're working on it. You know, Josh and I obviously, you know, not getting word back on, on Destination Truth. We're kind of, you know... Uh, trying to figure some other things out. And uh, I think there's some really great opportunities coming up. So 2014, you'll be hearing some new news. Unfortunately, I can't reveal anything just yet. Um, but, you know, keep up with my Twitter and my website. And um, that'll be the first place you'll hear any new news. And tell us all what your Twitter and website are. 
Uh, my Twitter handle is Aaron Ryder 13 and my website is AaronRider.com. I am super excited and I will be really looking forward to hearing about all of those developments as they come out. And uh, Ryder, thanks so much for hanging out. This has been fun and uh, I'll have to check in with you more frequently because it, uh, it's always a long time in between our, our catch-ups. But, I know, uh, I know it's been way too long, but it's so wonderful to hear from you and I'm so happy for you and Caleb and I, I wish you guys a lot of luck with this new venture and um, I hope you have an amazing holiday. Oh, same to you, Ryder. And uh, yeah, I, by the way, speaking of Twitter, love the, uh, the family photo you posted today. That was excellent. Yeah, we always try to wow with our Christmas cards and that was um, us redoing a uh, family portrait we had done back in 1990. 23 years later, we did it again, and uh, it was very, very fun, and the reaction to it's been really amusing. Yeah, you matched it pretty well. It was pretty magical. <laughs> All right, Ryder, will you take care, and we'll catch up again soon. Okay, bye, Jason. Thanks so much. All right, thanks again to Aaron Ryder for being on the show. That was tons of fun. We appreciate it, Aaron. And Caleb, we should uh, wish everybody Happy, happy holidays, because this is going to be our last podcast before the holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. Who is that? Um, that is the gremlin I keep uh, bound and gagged in my closet. Was uh, he at the, the concert last week? He was one of the Krampuses, yes. The, the Krampi. Krampuses. You really have to put that stuff on the website, because I'd love to see it. Yeah, I'll have to ask around and see if anybody has any video. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Rogue Planet podcast. We will see you after the holidays. We will see you in 2014. Until then, I am Jason McClellan, and the uh, mildly drunk guy is Caleb Hanks. You don't know me. Well, we'll get into that next time. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. <laughs>